This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back. This is Catherine Klein on Dollars and Change. And I'm Nick Ashburn on Dollars and Change. I'm Dollars and Change at, uh, at Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. I'm still getting used to our number, so I need to say 132 a lot. Uh, and we are back in, in this segment of the show. We're going to be talking with... Uh, Dr. Eugenia South. Gina South is an assistant professor of emergency medicine at the Perlman School of Medicine here at Penn. She's been doing just fascinating research looking at urban context and you know how your neighborhood and what your neighborhood looks like and feels like, how that affects your mental health. I know you've also done uh, work on how that affects crime levels in the community. So we are eager to hear about that. So uh, without further ado, Gina, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, thanks for coming into the studio. We love having our guests in the studio. Totally. Yeah. So you are a doctor. You are a uh, and a, and a researcher. You study. Uh, you know, you're an assistant professor of emergency medicine. When I think emergency medicine, I don't think, oh, right, urban design. You know, urban. Uh, uh, you know, ur- blocks and abandoned blocks. I don't even think mental health when I think of emergency medicine. Yeah. Right. So interesting. So help us understand your interest. Uh, you know, in doing research on communities and and abandoned lots and so on in communities and their impact on well let's let's stick with health and mental health yeah yeah so um in my work as a as a physician um i never thought i would be doing this type of research um i can tell you a story of when i was working on a pediatric trauma service Mm. um we had we take care of all the trauma patients and we had an 11 year old boy who had come in um who had been shot while he was sleeping on his couch Mm. Um, and so when we when we start taking care of patients, there's a very protocolized way we do that. We call the ABC. So we do the airway. His airway was fine. We do breathing. He was breathing fine. Circulation. His heart was pumping fine. Then we do what's called the D&E disability and exposure. So at this point, we ask the child to you know move your arms, move your legs. So he moves his arms just fine, and he can't move his legs. And we say, move your legs, and he can't move his legs. And it turned out that the bullet had transected his spinal cord, mm. And he was paralyzed. Um, So this 11-year-old boy who yesterday had been playing basketball Mm -hmm. today would never walk again. Um, We did a great job of treating his physical injuries, but we did little to nothing to think about what was happening in his neighborhood to cause these problems in the first place. And that's when I really started to uh, shift my focus to think about neighborhoods and what was happening in neighborhoods to cause people to come to see me in the emergency department, whether it's a shooting victim, whether it's someone who has chest pain, recurrent asthma exacerbations, people who come in suicidal, um, overdose. We, we see everything in the emergency department. Um, so that's kind of what got me thinking yeah. about neighborhoods. Wow. Well, it, this, it, it sort of makes it, it, it's a little bit of a, of a gut punch for me to, for you to tell that story. I mean, I think for our listeners, kind of a period. But for me personally, I actually did a lot of research at the Baltimore uh, Shock Trauma Center years ago. Uh, and, you know, I sat and stood in the shock trauma center and saw people arrive and saw kids arrive. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and, it's and heart wrenching. It's, it's heart wrenching. It is heart wrenching. And I saw, you know, people come in with gunshots and stabbings and, and all of that. And um, I don't think I thought enough about the community, you know, and, and I mean, in a, in a very concrete way, uh, I don't think I thought about what, what these communities. So yeah, very powerful. Important. So it is, it's, 
also highly relevant for my life because my husband, who I was like, you have to listen to this segment. So hopefully you're listening, Michael. Um, but, you know, so he was just appointed the CEO of, of an organization that serves Southwest Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And um, they spe- specialize in mental health um, for that community. But they started off as um, an, a residential facility. And what the, one of their strongest programs is actually around serving adolescent girls who have experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. And he actually comes more from an economic development background. He doesn't come from a mental health or social work background, which is what often, you know, the staff of this organization Mm -hmm. is. And one of his key priorities is how do we do economic development in Southwest Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. Uh, which for our listeners is really, you know, uh, an underserved, you know, really struggling part of the of this city. So um, I know I'm excited to talk to you and see how all this comes around. So let's let's paint a little bit of picture. I mean, I think this your background in that story, as Catherine said, was really powerful. But can you give us some sort of national trends or like what we know about the state of the field of of poverty and mental health and things like that? Yeah. So, um, and I will say I'm not a psychiatrist, so I'm not a mental health expert either, um, and have kind of come at mental health sort of through the back door. Um, I think of mental health in in two ways. So there's um, the actual diagnoses of, you know, depression or anxiety. Um, About 16 million people have a diagnosis, a clinical diagnosis of depression in this country, um, and about one in five have some kind of mental health diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, so, th- so there's that aspect of mental health, and then there's um, the aspect of mental health that's that I think about as kind of stress um, and this concept of chronic stress yeah. and being um, experienced. We all experience stress. Stress actually is a can be a good thing. Um, it, it helps you prepare. It helps you to avoid danger. Mm-hmm. But my psychologist, my therapist, has told me that too. <laughs> <laughs> so, but if you live in a neighborhood where um, there are stressful things happening every day that, you know, that um, mechanism we have in our body to help us deal with stress becomes maladaptive. Um, you know, poverty, you mentioned poverty. So 26% of Philadelphians um, uh, live below the poverty line. And the poverty line is like really low. So it's, it's like $12,000 for a single person, $25,000 for a family of four. Very low. So, I mean, there's a poverty. Of this right, a quarter of the city. 40% of the children in Philadelphia live in poverty. So when and you, we're the fifth or sixth largest city. Mm-hmm. I don't remember where we started. Yeah. So just it's the tenth largest city, but yeah, it's, yeah. I so I think we're the fifth or sixth largest, but we are at the bottom. Uh, like right. we're the yes. tenth we're the of tenth. the tenth largest cities. We have the That's highest right. poverty. Got rate. it. Got it. Right. Um, right. And we have a lot of poor yes. health indicators around that. So if you're poor, you know, you struggle to find housing. You might struggle to feed your family. You might experience discrimination. You may live near lots of vacant lots and abandoned buildings. There are a lot of things day in and day out about your life that are going to be stressful. And that translates into real health problems and disparities. Um, so when thinking about mental health, you know, I, I think about that kind of bucket of chronic stress as as part of that and what I'm trying to move the needle on a little so, bit. So let's dig into to the, because uh, I, I, like I'm sitting here talking, thinking like, oh my God, we could talk to her for an hour, but we, <laughs> but we can't. Uh, so in your research, how did you, uh, you know, what was the intervention? This was a large field experiment, which means that you were randomly assigning well, we'll talk about who, who you know. What were we? we weren't randomly assigning things to conditions to people. You were randomly assigning conditions to, to places. To uh-huh. places. What was the you know? What was the intervention? The random assignment, and then let's talk about um, how you get from that random assignment to why you thought it would make a difference in mental mental health. I and love when Catherine puts her researcher hat on. Yeah. <laughs> 
So we worked with the Pennsylvania Horticulture Society, um, which is the oldest horticulture society in the country. They are an amazing group of people that do a lot of things. A lot of people know them for the flower show, but that, you know, helps. Or their pop-up beer gardens. Right, or the (laughs) pop-up beer gardens. But all of that helps to raise money for some of the really impactful work they're doing. So they have developed this um, really innovative, simple, clean and green intervention which involves taking a vacant lot, um, which often are um, trashy. We find them filled with needles, condoms. Um, people dump large objects there. They take that space and turn it into a clean and green space by just cleaning the area, planting new grass, um, usually two or three trees, and then a very simple wooden post and rail fence around the outside that does have an opening. Um, so this intervention they developed, and they have actually been doing this in the city of Philadelphia for years before we kind of got involved with them to study it. Yeah, and and for our listeners, it might have been a year ago now. It could have been two years already, but our uh, professor here at Wharton, Shane Jensen, also I think he uses a similar data set, um, but comes at it from a very different perspective because he's a a stats, a statistics professor, Mm -hmm. and you're looking at it through a health lens. So I can't wait for you to to connect on that. So so you randomly assign neighborhoods where there are vacant lots to different conditions. So, so, yes. and, and and as I recall, and I'm not seeing the number in front of me, this was a large study. Yeah. So we had 541 vacant lots in this study. Yeah. So there are there are actually over 40,000 vacant lots and abandoned buildings in Philadelphia. Oh, so my gosh. We, yeah. So there are a lot. So we took a portion of that and we randomly um, pick them and then randomly assign them to one of three study arms. And that randomization piece, as you know, as a researcher, is really important right. for giving us you know high level of evidence and taking out as much bias as possible. Um, so a third of those lots got this clean and green intervention. Another third got a trash cleanup only intervention where um, people went just to pick up the trash and any mowing that could be done very limited. Um, and the purpose of that was, um, A, to test out another um, intervention, but also to make sure that whatever results we saw wasn't because someone was going to the neighborhood to do something, but was something about the intervention itself, mm-hmm. um, the greening intervention right. itself. Right, so not just like a, the presence of someone, just more activity in that area, like the actual beautification or something like that. Right. Um, And then a third, the last group, the third got um, nothing. It uh, it was a control um, situation. So the vacant lots were the um, the thing that got the intervention and that were randomized. And then we interviewed people that lived in the immediate block or two blocks surrounding the vacant lot clusters Mm -hmm. to um, find out what, you know, the impact was going to be on them. It's important to know that they didn't know that we were involved in the greening, so they were blinded to that. Yeah, so I was going to say, I, I was, I, that my little wonky, uh, <laughs> my wonky exper- researcher hat was going to say, did you go in? I mean, I'm glad you didn't. You did. So what you're saying is you did not go say to residents, hey, we just cleaned up the vacant lot in your neighborhood. We did a lot of wonderful, it's not, aren't the flowers beautiful? The trees are beautiful. How is that affecting your mental health? <laughs> you they, did not say that. We did not say that. They <laughs> right. did not know we were um, involved in the research. And actually, the... The people, the contractors who did the actual work also didn't know that it was involved yeah. in a research study to try to keep as many people, you know, blinded right. as possible. So what did you find? How big are the effects? So um, in the paper that came out in July, we looked at feelings of depression and mental health. Um, important to note that these were self-reported feelings. So this wasn't a DSM diagnosis of depression, um, but people reported. And on the other um, hand, I, I, th- I believe those self-reports are pretty darn valid and yes, corroborated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we people used know a how scale. they feel. Yep, yes, we use a yeah. scale that's been validated many times. Um, so people reported feeling 40% less depressed um, and an overall improvement in poor mental health. 
the results were the most pronounced in the poorest neighborhoods in Philadelphia. So it was wow. even stronger results. That's um, great. Which I think kind of indicates that there are certain neighborhoods who would yeah. benefit m- the most from interventions like this. How rapidly do people, you know, are, are people feeling benefits? What, how, do you, how do you think about the timing? Is this a week? Are you interviewing people a week after the, the neighborhood has improved? A month? A year? Or how do you think about that? And then I'm also curious how long it lasts, too. So we interviewed people um, two times before Mm -hmm. um, over an 18-month period and then two times after over an 18-month period. period. Um, So, And we did two measurements um, to really make sure our our measurements were accurate to see how people um, were. We didn't follow people past 18 months, so I can say that this effect lasted at least 18 months, but um, I think, you know, future research could look at how long this this effect lasts. I'm surprised by the magnitude of these results uh, and and that you would would find something this, you know, this big on, um, were you surprised? Um, I wasn't surprised. Uh-huh. I so I did a qualitative study um, several years ago that where we asked people who lived in uh, neighborhoods with a lot of vacancy and abandonment what they thought the impact was on their health. Mm-hmm. And the two biggest themes that emerged from that were people felt it had a big impact on community well-being, um, so the overall well-being of the community, and people said it had an impact on their mental health. Um, mm-hmm. So people recognized that these spaces, these blighted, vacant spaces were impacting them. They felt stigmatized, like no one cared about them. Mm-hmm. Um, they felt anxiety. They felt fear. They felt fear for their kids who had to walk past these spaces every day and worry yeah. about what was going to happen if people were using the spaces for Ill- illegal activity. So, you know, I kind of had a hunch that mm-hmm. these spaces, people were telling me they caused um, poor mental health. And so if we intervene upon them... Um, we could potentially. Yeah. So this was, you you just sort of hit on something I was sort of curious about, and I I don't know if you can extrapolate from your research on this, but you talked about the stress of maybe safety and security of these, you know, the risk of these vacant vacant lots. I was also like, is it also a neighborhood pride thing? Now we have something, you know, like, does that sort of shift mentally, do you think? Or, you know, what are, what are sort of the positive effects of Mm -hmm. this? Um, so we didn't look at that question directly in this research, um, but I would hypothesize that part of it is, yes, you are. there is an um, investment being made in the neighborhood, and people notice that, and people notice that um, something's changing and something's happening for the, the good. I also think that there's actually power in green space. Um, the green space in and of itself is important. And um, there's a whole body of literature around the links between green space and health, particularly mental health. And um, so this is really some of the first experimental evidence that putting new green space into neighborhoods can have an impact on Catherine, is this where forest bathing? Yes, we're going to mention this, but we are we are talking with uh, Dr. Eugenia South. Uh, Gina South is a assistant professor of emergency medicine at the Perlman School of Medicine here at Penn, doing research on neighborhood context and mental health. We were talking about greening and improving this, and and we were talking at the at the start of the show. Somewhere in the last week or so, I stumbled upon this term on the internet. Of course, uh, forest what what. Forest bathing. bathing. Forest <laughs> bathing. I was like, what the heck is forest bathing? So uh, you know, Matt, has, uh, our producer, had did a little Googling on this. It was developed in Japan during the 1980s and has become a cornerstone of preventive health care and healing in Japanese medicine. You're nodding your head like this is not wacko woo-woo. There's, there's something here. 
Yes, yeah. So I, I do know some of the literature around that, and it was developed in Japan. Um, and there are a, a, a lot of small studies that yeah. show that it has an impact on stress and, and, and mental health. And it is really about being in a yeah, beautiful be, nature? Isn't yeah, it? it's be, it, they go, I mean, it literally is forest bathing. It's like going into a forest and relaxing, um, I guess letting the green space wash over you. Uh, um, and, and It's a different type of greenwashing. <laughs> we talk about greenwashing on this show about like, are you really having an impact? Or are you just sort of, is it marketing, window dressing, mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. stuff? Right? Yeah. So I think there is, I think that kind of builds on the evidence that there is a link between green space and health. Yeah. Um, I think it's uh, maybe less relevant in highly urban areas yes. where people don't have as much access right. to any green right. space. Right. Um, but it, it also, I think, speaks to a movement that is sort of happening and bubbling up around physicians actually prescribing to their patients to go spend time outside in green space. What an interesting point. Yeah. And okay. And so in your research and this uh, in this randomized control trial, you also looked at crime rates. So I think worth mentioning what happens uh, with this intervention in uh, kind of greening and cleaning up these vacant lots. What happens to crime rates in the in the near the lots? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was the first paper that came out in um, February. And um, I should mention all of this research is a, a massive group effort. So it's not just me. Yeah, um, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, hard hard Char- research Charlie, to pull off. Yeah. Charlie Brannis, who used to be at Penn and is now at Columbia, um, was the first author on that paper in February. And John McDonald, who's a criminologist here, is also very heavily involved in this work. So, um, so the the primary thing we were actually looking at with this intervention was violent crime. And violent crime did go down um, around lots that had got any kind of treatment mm. compared to lots that got nothing, um, particularly in the poorest neighborhoods. So that's where we saw the biggest effect, up to 29% decrease in violent crime and, and wow. gun assaults in particular. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. So uh, it seems like there's an obvious policy recommendation here, you know, for for businesses, for governments to do what they can to clean up vacant lots uh, and, and, you know, to to invest in greening. It's interesting. Chicago has done a lot of this, I believe. Uh, you go to Chicago now versus 15 years ago. It's a much greener place throughout the, throughout the city. So it's uh, you know very interesting. Um, where do you think you're going to go in your research, having having tapped into this kind of fascinating intervention? I'm really interested in thinking more about ways that we can. Um, get people to experience the benefit of green space. So um, whether that's more green space, um, uh, enhancing this intervention by adding a path and a bench to explicitly invite people into mm, the space. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't. We didn't track people's movements, so we don't know actually how people interacted with the spaces. Um, so that's something I'd like to, to look more into. And then um, I mentioned the physician uh, park prescription right. concept and programs. Um, and so working on the people side, too, to get people to take a, more advantage of the green space they have in their neighborhoods and in the city. That is fascinating. I'm, I'm uh, yeah. I'll, t- I'll take this to heart for myself, getting out in, into green spaces, but I'm also thinking about other people who I know who could really mm-hmm. you know, stand a dose of, of, of green space. Yeah, abs- absolutely fascinating. And uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting to, Thank to, you. to hear, hear about this work. Uh, I'm, our- I'm really struck too. I mean, do you think we can extrapolate this, again, uh, uh, hypothesizing, you know, not just to green and green, wa- you know, forest bathing, but also to urban investment and just 
neighborhood revitalization. And a, and a word that we have a minute left and then that it's going to fly by. Yes, I, I think we can. Um, I should mention quickly, we did do a cost-benefit analysis of this vacant lot greening intervention um, as it relates to firearm violence. And we found that it was um, a cost-benefit to both the taxpayer and society. So I think there are a lot of opportunities to invest in um, putting more green space into neighborhoods that will make the whole neighborhood healthier. Fabulous. Yeah. So interesting. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Dr. Gina South, Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine at Perlman, talking about urban uh, urban renewal, urban, urban lots, fascinating link to mental health. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after a moment. Thanks for listening. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 